Hello, everyone. It's time once again for Hero Blend, the weekly podcast where we talk everything superheroes. I'm Adrian Jones here, as always, with the exceptionally entertaining <laughs> Eric Eisenberg. Oh, Yay. thank you. And uh, I'm not alone. We're not alone this week, though. That's it's true. Not just the two. We've of got us. a guest. We've got a live guest with us this week. Indeed, we do. Uh, coming to us from Movie Bill, uh, editor Mr. Silas Lesnick, and also one of my best friends. How's it going, Silas? <laughs> Hey, thanks for having me. Glad to have you, man. And uh, we, uh, you and I are very good friends, and we discuss this stuff fairly regularly anyway. Now mm-hmm. we're actually just going to record it and hope that pe- it entertains yeah, people. Yeah, I, I have a feeling this is going to play like a, a normal conversation. <laughs> <laughs> now, do you guys usually uh, disagree about superhero stuff, or are you usually on the same page? It's a mix. I would say we are probably on the same page more often mm-hmm. than we're not. Sure. Okay. But it sounds like we disagree because when we disagree, <laughs> it, it explodes. That's very true. So there, so there might be like some sort of um, battle royale smackdown on this podcast is what you're saying. It's I'm possible. the nerd equivalent. Right. I'm going <laughs> okay. to try and moderate my temper and uh, hope that he doesn't piss me off too much. And uh, we'll see how it goes. Let's go. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, let's get into it. Um once again, like last week, there hasn't been anything major. No major superhero news has dropped. Um, but we're going to get into our weekly five minutes under the gun segment. Um, we're also going to talk about Marvel and DC characters who deserve to get the cinematic live action treatment. But first, let's get into the news. Apparently, and I say apparently, <laughs> the Flash movie is actually looking to start filming on February 5th of 2019 with filming wrapping up three, just three months later, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein are directing. Are they supposed to be writing it also? I believe so. Yeah. They are the third set of directors and it took like a year and a half, I think almost for them to get hired for this movie. Um, We've been talking about the flash movie in some form since like 2014, I think. Something like that. What do you guys think is the real chance of this filming next year, as opposed to this just being like a DCU pipe dream? I don't necessarily doubt it. I mean, if not just because okay. DC is going to have to continue making movies. Uh, right yeah. now, we don't know what they have planned for after Wonder Woman 1984, which is coming out in November of next year. Uh, yeah. So. Like, currently, there is a big question mark after that point. And uh, Wonder Woman 1984 is in production right now. So the next logical time, lo- and logical, I'm just saying this is completely just within the realm of reality. It yeah. does, it would make sense for uh, DC to push forward with their latest project sometime in the early half of next year, especially if they're trying mm-hmm. to do more than uh, one movie a year all around. So it is possible. However, uh does DC have it shit together enough to make a Flash movie at this point? That is a welcome. That is that continues to be a question mark. That yeah, yeah I, I don't know. <laughs> and right now we have no, we still have no clear idea of what they're going to be doing with it. The last thing we heard was that they wanted to do Flashpoint, but then when these new writers and directors got onto it, they said, "Nah, we're going lighter. We're not doing Flashpoint." Uh, Silas, what kind of storyline would you want to see? Well, from the Flash movie. You know, the thing that has me really excited about these guys being involved is that it has the potential to be really funny. And yeah, 
Ezra Miller right now, I think, is one of the the, the stronger elements of the the DCEU. Uh, putting him in front of a story where he gets to be funny is is going to be great if you pull it mm-hmm. off properly. Okay. All right. I'm still not, I'm just not convinced that this is actually going to be ever a movie. <laughs> I mean, there are, to, to be fair, DC has like 30,000 other projects they can yeah. potentially just reach in for and like pull out and who God knows what they will pull out. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it does seem at times like Flash is as far along as any other project currently in development for that franchise. So Right. And to me, if you're going to, you know, re- really be serious about this DC cinematic universe, uh, you know, you need to like the Flash movie would be one of those like cornerstones one of those foundations and the fact that they kind of can't get their stuff together and have just been throwing things at the wall and hiring people and firing people for four or five years or whatever i just you know maybe we'll see this maybe we won't (laughs) is where i am with this and pretty much every other dc movie So we'll see what happens next year in February. Um, Okay, moving on to some more actual DC news. Uh, This is, you know, on the TV side of things, Supergirl has recast a major new character um, that that will be coming up in season four, uh, Bruce Boxleitner um, from Babylon 5 and my personal favorite, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, uh, will be taking over the role of Vice President Baker from Brent Spiner, also, you know, best known as Data on Star Trek: The Next Generation. Um, this is a new, you know, a new character that uh, Brent Spiner had been cast as, and now apparently he had uh, some family conflicts or something, and so they just went ahead and recast the role, which suggests that uh, he's actually going to be, you know, a, kind of a major part of the show. I can't remember the last time I saw Bruce Boxleitner in something. Like the Tron movie? It's Wasn't probably there, Tron there was Legacy. A- yeah. I will say, I will just quickly interject saying that this story couldn't be more perfectly Silas just because he loves DC, <laughs> he fucking loves okay. Tron, and he is a Star Trek freak with Data being one of his favorite characters. So I'm just going to let him talk and just not even say anything. Okay, so Silas, are you happy about this or are you disappointed you won't see Brent Spiner? Um, I'm disappointed I won't see Brent Spiner and Supergirl. That okay. being said... I love Bruce Boxleitner. He is awesome. Uh, even on Babylon 5, he was a replacement um, for Michael O'Hare, who did the first season, and then he stepped oh, in. Oh, okay. Um, honestly, a- as a Star Trek fan, my paranoid theory is like, oh, is Brent Spiner going to go do the new Picard show, and that's why he can't be on Supergirl? That That's where my head's at. Supergirl yeah. will be fine with, with Bruce Boxleitner. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So, we'll, you know, we'll see what happens when the, in the, when the new season starts. Um, Chris Hemsworth, in more news, has come out this week and let everybody know that, you know, we are not alone. He also disliked Thor The Dark World. Uh, he called it meh, which fits, from what I remember, and said it deals with superhero masculinity in a familiar way. Uh, Silas, what do you think of his assessment? You know, I I know what he's saying. I understand why he's saying that. I I personally kind of feel like Thor The Dark World needs some defending because it's become the the de facto worst Marvel movie ever. And Let the smackdown begin. It's it's funny. It's like legitimately a funny movie. And I, I remember seeing it the first time and I think it was like, I remember thinking they should be leaning into this humor even more, but 
the, okay, I don't remember laughing at all during Thor: The Dark World, and oh, it is certain you can't, you can't, you can't, you can't be saying. Well, I just don't remember it. You can't be saying <laughs> though that it's funnier than Thor: Ragnarok. Oh, it's not. But Thor: Ragnarok might not have happened if that hadn't worked as well as it did in Dark World. All right. Okay. The cameo, the Chris Evans. thought. I was just going to say the Chris okay. Evans cameo in Thor: The Dark World. I think might still be my favorite Marvel cameo, in part just because it was completely unexpected. Mm-hmm. That is true. And it also, it, it is kind of speaks to the, like, the joy of the cinematic universe in the sense that, like, part of what's great about the comics is any character can pop into any story at any particular time just because all it takes is actually just drawing them. That's obviously they can't necessarily do that in the in the movie world just because like actors need to be signing contracts and yada yada yada. But the, yeah. you have a very good point. Is that just like the the randomness of that cameo is definitely fantastic. And honestly, I will stand up for the third act of Thor: The Dark World. Like that, it, okay. as they're like flying through all those portals, going over London. Like it is like it is a very standard destruction sequence. However, I do mm-hmm. appreciate like the like traveling through different dimensions and to different planets through these like holes and like it, it's cool uh that being said the rest of the movie is just like oh boy guys what are you doing like it is it, i mean it, it, it doesn't look very good it's like it's very dark and grimy and i think part of that extends that to is the fact, true uh that alan taylor came to it uh essentially pro- i mean originally he came to it late because originally it was going to be patty jenkins directing the movie but uh if you kind of look at his track record and like his connection with uh thor and what what it would have been is the fact that he did a lot of game of thrones uh and he did uh episodes of rome i believe and so like he was used to the kind of tough and grimy and dark aesthetic of those kind of hbo shows and that's, I mean, to his credit, that's what he brought to Thor the Dark World. It just doesn't happen to look very good. And also, I just mm-hmm. don't think there's any defending Malekith, who, I mean, th- he's the main reason why because th- why Thor the Dark World has become such a punching bag, because he is just so nothing. And I know Silas is about to defend him, so I'm just going to let him do it. I, I, okay, go ahead. There's something I really like about Malekith as the, like, anti-comic book villain, and I get that people look at him and say, oh, he's boring. And it's, it's because he doesn't deliver a speech and he doesn't explain his plan. He just wants to end all light in the universe. And he's not even particularly emotional about it. He just wants to see this thing happen. I, I get that. I like that. <laughs> but I mean, but like, can you appreciate the fact that like Thanos as a complete contrast is like wants to do kind of half of the same thing. And yet True. fully explains himself and like like you're no, totally that, invested in his motivations and he makes a ton of sense. And you have Malekith who's just like, what the fuck are you doing, guy? But I, in some ways I would almost argue that I, I prefer that in a bit. Like, I like the cold calculating, I'm just going to do what I want to do. I, anything else I is inconsequential. <laughs> I guess within a grand scheme of like 20 movies, because as you said, it's like, it's not a bad movie, but it is like the de facto worst movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so like, if you are going to just toss one of those in there, I guess in the grand scheme, it doesn't really matter, which, you know, to bring it back to this whole impetus of this conversation, to borrow Chris word, a word from Chris Hemsworth, meh. Meh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That, that, that's still where I land on it. Um, okay. All right, guys. Well, Speaking of Thanos, we found out this week that originally in Infinity War, they were going to have him walk across a river of blood (laughs) 
after he snapped his fingers and destroyed half the life in the universe, while he was in Soul World, he was going to be walking across this river of blood as he comes toward the young Gamora. Uh, Apparently they took it out because it made the movie too dark and heavy, which makes sense. Um, uh, While it sounds like a cool idea to me and it's something I would like to see in theory, uh, to me it doesn't really make that much sense because everyone just turns to ash and fades away. It's not like everybody, you know, died some horrible bloody death that we could see on screen. Do either of you wish that this had actually been in the finished movie? Not really. Um, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> it's an image I can imagine looking really cool. Um, right. But I think there's something really scary in the end of Infinity War, how it just ends. It's not like a big explosion. It's not violent. It's just Thanos did this thing and it's done. And there's mm-hmm. maybe no going back. Eric, could, what do you think? I, I could totally see this image spray painted on the side of an Astro van. Uh, Thanos just walking through a river of blood. Um, but I, I think it is kind of unnecessary. It would be kind of a weird note in a Disney movie, I guess, if we are just yeah. going to go there. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, I mean, it proves unnecessary. And I completely agree. It's just there is something to the calmness that that comes immediately after literally everything. Like, I mean, as, as as was being said, it's just like these characters don't like die horrible, painful, retching deaths. They just turn yeah. to dust and reality changes. And uh, Thanos has this long, peaceful, like he has this peaceful conversation with young Gamora. And then at the very, very end, the last thing is him literally sitting on a hillside watching the sunrise. And like that peacefulness is so perfectly contrast to the emotion like emotional reaction that you're supposed to get out of the end of that film that mm-hmm. I mean it, it, it's perfect and to introduce something as violent as a river of blood while I get yeah. the shocking I get the value of the shockingness of it uh it's I think the movie is better without it yeah I completely agree which is again not to say that I wouldn't like to also see it <laughs> right <laughs> just because it's a weird you know completely it would be a completely different image from anything we've seen in any of these MCU movies. Um, Yeah. And if there is a amateur, uh, like VFX artist out there who wants to do their best to try and render it and post it on YouTube, it's always an open introduction on the internet. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. (laughs) There's an invitation, everybody. If you want, want to try to make Thanos walk across a a river of blood, um, uh, to some more, uh, TV news. Uh, the dates for this year's Arrowverse crossover with Batwoman, remember, have been announced. Uh, the Flash will air on December 9th. Arrow will air on December 10th. And Supergirl will air on December 11th. The Flash and Supergirl are switching days for some reason this year. This is going to be the only time that happens where The Flash is going to air on Sunday as opposed to Supergirl airing on Sunday. Um DC has also revealed that this crossover will introduce Lois Lane and bring back Superman. Um, I have basically given up on these Arrowverse shows, but Eric said, you know, either last week or the week before that he likes Ruby Rose. And you also are, you know, looking forward to what she'll do with Batwoman. Um, what do you think, Silas? Are you pumped for this? Are you still watching these shows? Um, Yes and no, <laughs> which uh, is maybe a little paradoxical. I'm about a half a season behind on all of the, the CW shows. Okay, um, okay. But this is exactly the kind of event that makes me want to get caught up. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like 
Superman and Lois Lane is all you need to do to sell me on a giant crossover event. But the fact okay. that it's every show running and is also introducing Ruby Rose as Batwoman is mm-hmm. really, really cool. Okay, who would you like to see play Lois Lane? Because I'm pretty sure we haven't seen her on, on have we, on these shows before? Not um, yet, no. We, we have not. Uh, there's right. people... I, think we've, I think we've seen her sister. Yeah, we have. Um, it was uh, Jenna Duan Tatum. Uh, right, okay. So Lois Lane, who would you want to see play Lois Lane? You know, I, I, there, there's so many people. My, my my favorite Lois Lane that never got to play Lois Lane, and, and maybe she's a little old now, is Courtney Cox. Okay. Um, oh, okay. I can see that. She just always, I, I think it's because of the Scream movies, but she always seemed like she would be such a great Lois Lane. And frankly, I do like the idea of a Lois Lane that is much older than Superman, at least visually, because there's something sad about that. And also really loving that they are in this relationship and maybe he's not aging because he's from another planet, but they're still together. Um, Aww, look at that. I actually that. like that a lot. It actually like height, <laughs> even it, it does heighten the drama in their relationship and the fact that he is guaranteed to completely, he's, going, he's guaranteed to outlive her. And also it's like, there's nothing saying that they have to be contemporaries. Like she can be older. Like, like she was established at yeah. the Daily Planet when he first started working there, so why not? Like that completely makes sense. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'm kind of I uh, like that a lot. <laughs> I, I also like a, a younger actress. I really like uh, Kea Scotellario. Um, I, I don't know if she's necessarily interested in doing television, but she just has a like Lois Lane look to me. Okay, what has she? Uh, can you uh, tell me what she's been in? Because I've heard the name, but I can't like place a face. With she her. was the the female lead in the most recent uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, okay. That's why I can't place her face. <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, like she actually got her start on uh, British television because she, she was on the uh, she was on I believe the first and second, maybe the third season of the show Skins, which is actually where I first got to know okay. her, uh, playing the character Effie. And she's actually fantastic on that. So uh, I am I'm a fan of that as well. And she is more, I guess, age. I don't want to say age appropriate because that's stupid um but she i mean she could she's certainly old enough to play lois lane because she's not right. a goddamn she's not a teenager let's put it that way yeah okay. <laughs> but um yeah so yeah i i i i, I dig that casting i like that and i i on this i feel the same way it's just also like the big thing about these crossovers before has i mean mm-hmm. obviously it's all about bringing these char- established characters together that are part of the yeah. arrowverse um but like and also just the idea of like an alien invasion is what kind of brings them together. But I just, I mean, I like the idea of just expanding it with like key characters that they haven't actually touched on yet, which I guess will kind of dovetail nicely into the larger conversation that we have coming later in this episode. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) All right. Well, I'll probably watch the crossover this year because like you say, it's a big, it's kind of a big deal. Um, Moving on. Apparently Denzel Washington has never been asked to do a Marvel movie. For some reason, that doesn't really surprise me, um, even though he admitted that he wouldn't, you know, just rule it out without considering such a project, you know, for its own merits. So he's not like a snob about it or whatever. Um, why do you guys think no one has thought of him for one of these Marvel movies? Do you think he's too Denzel? Or I don't like, think it's do, that. Do, do people think he's too highbrow? 
Honestly, I think just thinking about it is mostly it's mostly that I can't really think about an established Marvel character that Denzel Washington would have been perfect to play. Like, I just Mm -hmm. I don't think that maybe they just haven't featured that character yet. And honestly, if I'm really thinking about it, I'm not 100 percent sure who necessarily I uh, would cast Denzel as in the Marvel Universe. However, Mm -hmm. I mean. At this point, I feel I feel like these, there was there used to be a huge stigma about doing comic book movies first because uh, yeah. it seemed like doing blockbusters was just kind of a sellout move, and then B because you had to be locked into this like years and years long contract. I think right. both of those uh, like stigmas have both gone by the wayside, and so now you can get. Denzel Washington to be in a movie in, in a Marvel movie uh, but I just think really that's probably just what it is is the fact that they have yet to find or at, at least adapt the exact character that Denzel Washington should be playing in that universe right that makes sense to me because just thinking about you know the characters that we know in the MCU I can't really see him playing any of those I, I, Silas what do you think I think the real power in, in, in casting him for a movie would be to take a lesser known character and as soon as you cast him in that role elevate it into something that all of a sudden is a featured Marvel player um, he I mean he brings such weight with him that he could right. he could just voice a character and it would instantly be <laughs> a classic that is true you're right I could see that and also, I mean, if you just give him, like, he'll be probably more inclined. I mean, it's very much like uh, Robert Redford in Winter Soldier. I mean, it's not like there was, we knew a, oh, crap, I'm totally blanking on his name. Help me. Uh, Pierce. Character. Yeah. Alexander Pierce. Pierce, Alexander Pierce. <laughs> Alexander Pierce, I mean, he's a character in Marvel Comics, but he's not, like, he wasn't the a head big of deal. S.H.I.E.L.D. Like, he wasn't yeah. had this, like, huge history with uh, Nick Fury or anything like that. So, uh, like, you could definitely do something like that with Denzel Washington. It's just, like, give him what would otherwise be a minor character, but let him kind of explore it and turn it into something awesome. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, Norman Osborn would actually kind of be an interesting idea for him. That's kind of cool. He has the power. Right? <laughs> I can't <laughs> say that, yeah. He brings the power, man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. So maybe at some point, maybe now Marvel will be thinking about Denzel Washington. Um, okay. So we'll see what happens. Uh, some more DC news. Uh, DC Universe is doing a Doom Patrol show, and they have cast Brendan Fraser as the voice of Robot Man. Fraser, obviously, George of the Jungle. And the hero from those cool mummy movies from the early 2000s. Somebody tell me about Robot Man. This is somebody I have not heard of because I don't know much about the Doom Patrol and probably a lot of other people don't either. Uh, Robot Man is the only uh, character that has like been in every iteration of the Doom Patrol over the years. Okay. Um, he's a robot man. Uh, but the whole, the whole idea <laughs> of uh, Doom Patrol is... It's sort of a band of outcasts, so it's it's a bunch of weird superheroes that are on a team together, um, and I, it's it's the DC TV show I am the most looking forward to. Oh, really? More than um, more than everything else? Then? Like a Harley Quinn? They're doing a Harley Quinn show? I mean, I, 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 yeah, I, honestly, I'm very excited for the Swamp Thing show, like the, the with just because Jam Juwan's involvement. But I, I'm very much the same way, and especially because there's been rumor about uh, potentially getting Kelsey Grammer to play Chief. Uh, which would be just awesome because I mean Kelsey Grammer was awesome as Beast in X Men: The Last Stand, and mm-hmm. you know it's it just he's kind of I mean 
there is there are parallels between Doom Patrol and X Men that can't really be necessarily ignored. With one of the chief ones, be, chief ones uh, being the fact that it's a team of outcasts led by a guy in a wheelchair. Um, that it, oh, it's not look at that. a super. But by all X-Men. accounts, X Men is actually a ripoff of Doom Patrol. Marvel found right. out that uh, the distinguished competition was doing this book and said, "Let's get our own version." And they actually came out. I think it was even the same week. And uh, <laughs> X Men just ended up surviving longer than Doom Patrol. Okay, so has it? How long has it been since we got like Doom Patrol comics? Do you guys know? Oh well, it's it's been rebooted uh, quite a few times. Okay. The original Doom Patrol run was only uh, thirty issues or so. I don't remember exactly, mm-hmm. um, but it it has come back a couple times, and the team okay. has changed each time. Except for okay. Robot Man. <laughs> and also, I, like, and I'll just say for, on the Brendan Fraser front, like, the guy yeah. kind of got, a, like, a, I mean, he fell into a career hole that, like, no, that nobody deserves for a really long time. He was making a lot of really terrible movies. But it does seem That's like true. he's making an interesting comeback now. And, like, he back in the 90s and early 2000s, as you were mentioning, like, he made some really fun movies. And he's now on that uh, show that I don't watch uh, on FX, the one that also tells the story of uh, the uh, Getty kidnapping. Uh, but And I've heard that yeah, he's great on it. Again, I, I don't watch it, so maybe. Uh, but, yeah, but so I'm all about Brendan Fraser getting work if uh and like a, ca- a character like robot man i think is actually a pretty good fit even i mean he'll just be voicing it but that's what counts well apparently he's also going to be playing him in flashbacks so we are going right. to see him on camera but only in flashbacks before he gets turned into a robot man right. <laughs> okay all right one more bit of uh you know basic superhero news before we move on um the spider-man far from home logo was revealed with the o in home as Spider-Man's face again. Are you guys you guys are both looking forward to this movie, right? Oh, very much so. Though I think Siles actually has a particular theory about and it's a stupid theory about <laughs> uh, the new logo, so I'll just let him, again him All right. It. Okay, Silas, so, what's going on? So I, I sometimes go down paths that lead nowhere. Um but I okay. do think it's interesting when we got this logo revealed the first time, it was on the mm-hmm. iPad that Tom Holland had and he sort of pretended to reveal it. It's, okay. it's slightly different uh, in that the one on the iPad was yellow with a red outline, and this has been inverted. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it is sort of weird to me that you look at the movies coming out next year, we have no idea what Avengers is even called, but now the Captain right. Marvel logo and the Spider-Man Far From Home logo are really similar. They're both like this red logo with gold trim. I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Nobody does, Adrian, because it's insane. It's a, it's a complete coincidence. And uh, yes. <laughs> Silas thinks this means something, Eric. I, it might. I mean, we know that Nick Fury's involved. The next time we're going to see Nick Fury is in Captain Marvel. Uh, who's no. to say that whatever he is doing in uh, Spider-Man Far From Home isn't directly related to something that's set up in Captain Marvel? Hmm. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I think it's just right. a cool looking title and uh, Far yeah. From Home, we'll have to see what it means. <laughs> I, I also, I have a theory that uh, it's, it's a very long theory, but my, my thought is in Avengers 4, we might see uh-huh. a Spider-Man, uh, we might see another universe where Thanos did not uh, kill everyone and characters okay. brought okay. over. 
And oh, I brought this. I brought up. This okay. Yeah, yeah. In previous we've, weeks. We've, we've discussed this theory. I think <laughs> that's a good way for them to bring, you know, dusted characters back, back, quote unquote, basically. And is it, to inverting the kind of introduce introduce the multiverse somehow. Inversing in, inverting the colors also makes sense. Like that, if it's Spider Man's in this universe, Spider Man fade away. He died. But now we have a Spider-Man from another universe that's almost identical, and it doesn't really make a difference, but he knows he's not really supposed to be there, and that fits with Far From Home. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see. It sounds like this, mo- this movie is going to have some you know, cool, interesting things for us. Either way, whether the logo means something, <laughs> means something greater or not. <laughs> okay. Moving on now. Silas. This will be your first time participating in five minutes under the gun. Here's what we do. Because there's so much stuff going on with James Gunn and his firing from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, we spend five minutes and five minutes only talking about the recent updates to this story. Our producer, Hannah, will, you know, keep time and then cut us off mercilessly. When the five minutes are done. Are you guys ready? Absolutely. Ready. Okay. Hannah, start the countdown. Dave Bautista, as we know, he's been very vocal about wanting James Gunn back on the movie, not wanting to do the movie unless they use use James Gunn's script for volume three. And he has continued his vocal support on Twitter. Um, Do you guys think he really will leave the movie and take whatever contractual consequences come from that if they don't use James Gunn's script? I mean, I I personally think that they will use James Gunn's script no matter what. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just timing issues. It it has a release date. Uh, It needs to move forward. The script, theoretically, is not the problem. Um, And you have this issue with with Dave Bautista. I, I don't know exactly how the contracts work, but theoretically that means James Gunn will still receive money for this. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is a direction they should move in. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, I, I mean, Dave Bautista, like he's, I mean, thanks to frankly guardians of the galaxy, he is now a very successful actor. I don't think that he, if he drops out of this franchise, uh, particularly if he's hit with a penalty for leaving this franchise that it will hurt his career in any single way mm-hmm. in fact I think that there's going to be a lot of filmmakers who actually appreciate his credibility and will be more excited to work with him especially like because that loyalty between actors and uh, filmmakers not always there there are a lot of actors who are a total pain in the ass and so like the idea that you actually have Dave Bautista who's willing to give up easily one of the cushiest jobs in Hollywood and just and yeah. a career maker literally uh that that takes balls and so like i feel like there are a lot of filmmakers who would want to work with a performer like that especially because you know the guy is also happens to be very very talented mm-hmm. all right well we'll see what happens as this continues to develop uh vincent d'onofrio who plays kingpin on daredevil which is on netflix obviously um and he this is an actor who's expressed interest in working with james gunn on Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and a potential Moon Knight movie, which I didn't even know was possibly in the works at some point. (laughs) Um, He has said that he's also very disappointed with his firing and called it on Twitter a big bummer. Um, Obviously, this isn't going to get him rehired. It's already been established that, you know, that's not going to happen. 
Um, tell me about this Moon Knight project. <laughs> about a year ago, James Gunn said he had an idea for Moon Knight. What could that have been? I who knows. I mean, Moon Knight I feel like is one of those characters that has been talked about at just endless, uh, just endlessly, and I it's like it may never ever come together. And like, yeah, it kind of would be cool to see Kingpin show up in a Moon Knight movie, in which wouldn't obviously involve a crossover between the movies and television shows. I think it was just a pipe dream, and like Vincent D'Onofrio basically, I mean, because he as established like is a fan of James Gunn, so he was excited about the idea, and like James Gunn was like. If, this happens, yada yada. Point is, that's definitely not going to happen, especially now that James Gunn's fired. And yeah. Else, but I, but I, like honestly, I just I think it is interesting that there is kind of this this outside of Marvel support that has emerged for uh, for James Gunn in this time. I mean, obviously uh, Dave Bautista is a huge name, but like uh, like Joe Carnahan, Selma Blair, like these these are big names who have like been very public in support of. Uh, James Gunn and obviously a huge part of it can be just personal stake because everybody has stupid shit uh, that they've done in their history and if it can come back and bite you in the ass and also make you lose again for James Gunn one of the best jobs in Hollywood then you know that sucks so it like it does mm-hmm. make sense for individuals to like not be want to establish a precedence or a precedent where they say you know that's not super cool. I, yeah. I personally feel like if you're not going to bring James Gunn back, don't make a Guardians 3. Um, you have the characters. You can have them appear in other movies. But the mm-hmm. Guardians movies are a story of a bunch of assholes that come together and <laughs> overcome the fact that they were assholes to do something really good. And if you're unable to mm-hmm. look at James Gunn and see the parallel there, then you're not actually interested in making a Guardians movie. You're interested in the logo so you can sell it. Ooh. <laughs> okay. All right. And our last little bit of James Gunn news. Um, apparently he had a secret horror movie that he produced um, starring Elizabeth Banks and a bunch of other people that's still set to be released by Sony on November 30th. I looked it up on IMDb. Apparently we really don't know the plot, or what this movie is about at all. Is that correct? We just know yes, that there are and people I'm, in it. And we just ran out of time. <laughs> oh. And I was about to reveal so much. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's five minutes under the gun for this week, guys. Let's move on to like the big one of the big segments this week. Marvel characters who deserve the big screen live action treatment. Now, these characters aren't necessarily already established in the MCU. These are just, these are mostly uh, characters from the comics. Um, why don't we start with the Great Lakes Avengers, who I... What? <laughs> I, <laughs> I knew there was like a West Coast Avengers, but there's a Great Lakes Avengers? The, the Great Lakes Avengers uh, was created, I think it was in West Coast Avengers uh, when John Byrne was writing it. It, it. The sort of idea is that it's an Avengers team of losers. Terrible superheroes. Uh, the, the, the lead guy is Flatman, who is a like sort of like Reed Richards, but instead of stretching, he just is two dimensional. He gets flat. No, he it just is two dimensional. He just oh, he just always is. Right. Oh my. God. Okay, okay. Uh, there's Big Bertha, who is kind of like a, a female version of the Blob. Okay. Yeah. That is super weird. It's it it it's a it's a cool team and it's really funny and it's honestly when when Adam McKay started getting involved with the DC universe, I. 
you have to like Will Ferrell would be the perfect flat man. <laughs> and I, okay. I'd love to see a team come together of, especially now that we have so many Marvel heroes. Um, I mean, they sort of played that with Ant Man that like, oh, he's the loser superheroes, but like, let's yeah. see some real loser superheroes. <laughs> okay. And, and well, also, yeah, it, it kind of sounds like these are characters that have powers that you have to be really creative to make the powers super useful. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I mean, and and yeah, I mean, it's just a reverse engineering plot to actually just like make that happen, though, and that that could yeah. resolve in some very funny stuff. Okay. All right, Eric. Why did you pick the Great Lakes Avengers? Oh, I, I, I just, I, I mean, I get like Silas. I just appreciate the comedic bent that they bring to it. Uh, mm-hmm. And I mean, and and it is interesting because, uh, like Ant Man. Through his origin story, he gets his powers, and like he, he's just a normal guy who gets powers. These are like uh, these can be just established people who have these abilities who wind up coming together in a as a team, just maybe as like mm-hmm. a uh, like a, as a part of like the Sokovia Accords. They start actually like uh, util- basically like establishing Avengers in different regions, uh, which is actually something that happens uh, in the comics. Um, and it's but it's just like it's such an opportunity for it to tell such a like pocket story within the Marvel Cinematic Universe that is just completely ridiculous and cartoonish and weird and silly Mm -hmm. and also just the fact that their initials are GLA alone just in contrast (laughs) with JLA like that alone that just by itself makes its jokes so I I personally fell in love with a comic when they did a series called GLA uh, that Dan Slott wrote and uh, it should also be noted on that at that point in time they had a squirrel girl as part of the team she is coming oh, okay. to uh, to life on uh, the small screen uh, in the new Warriors show. Yeah, Correct. which I think is going to be on Freeform. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll get to see at least a bit of that on TV. Um, you guys also seem to think that Richard Ryder, also known as Nova, would be a good character. Now, was he a part of the Nova Corps that we saw in the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie? Indeed he is. Uh, And in fact, like the main reason why I actually selected him for this list is because now, especially after the events of Avengers Infinity War, is the perfect time to introduce him. Uh, Because... like the pri- the primary modern story about Richard Ryder uh, came during uh, the an event that happened, I believe, in around two thousand four, two thousand five, uh, called Annihilation, which was while uh, Civil War in the comics was happening uh, down on Earth, Annihilation was the big event that was happening in uh, Marvel Cosmic comic books, and. Okay. Um, Richard Ryder is a member of the Nova Corps. However, uh, there is a monstrous, destructive event. Uh, it's led by a, another character who actually we'll be talking about later in the segment, so I won't get into it too much. Uh, but it winds up completely destroying no- the Nova Corps and uh, like annihilating it with the exception of Richard Ryder. He's the last remaining member of uh, the Nova Corps. And more importantly than anything, uh, and I'm completely blanking on the exact name of it, but he becomes uh, just one with the Nova consciousness. Uh, so it's basically the entire, he becomes the holder for the entire knowledge and history of the Nova core throughout like known galaxy. So like, that's kind of a big responsibility considering that he's again, the last member of Nova core. He's the representation yeah. for this entire force. And uh, like within him, its entire drive is to just survive while at the same time, Richard Ryder as a member of Nova core has a motivation to 
go out in the galaxy and help people and when disaster comes and especially because of uh, this monstrous force that again I'll get back into later uh, is continuing to destroy things he feels compelled to warn people and tell them it's happening and it's like again just in the Marvel Cinematic Universe right now we saw Xandar destroyed that's the perfect opportunity to suddenly discover yeah. Richard Ryder is the last surviving member of the of the, of the uh, Nova Corps. I, okay. I I kind of feel like as much as I'd like to see Richard <laughs> Ryder, it's almost mean at this point for uh, Marvel to put Richard Ryder in a movie because he's he's effectively Green Lantern. Um, True, <laughs> and that's one of like the things that just let DC do it. <laughs> Wait, is there a ring? There's, There's no a helmet. Ring. There's a helmet. There is a helmet. The helmet is special. Uh, in, in fact, I think okay. even the consciousness might even live in the helmet, uh, if I remember my comics uh, correctly. Okay. Uh, so, but yeah, like that is a very interesting. Uh, that is a very fine point, and uh, we'll be getting into Green Lantern conversation later. Mm-hmm. But he's not. Yes, House is very. He's not wrong. <laughs> But if okay, you can so bring it back, like it, it might be stealing DC's thunder a little bit. But if you yeah. can bring back John C. Riley, nobody's going to complain about that. Yeah, that's true. Okay, all right. <laughs> uh, moving on to a character who I'm assuming is not the dragon that Danny Rand had to fight <laughs> to get his Iron Fist powers. Shang Chi. I don't know who that is. <laughs> uh, Shang Chi is who? is uh, sort of like in the '70s. Marvel had a lot of. Uh, uh, Things other than superheroes. They had a long martial arts comic that was a Shang-Chi master of Kung Fu. Um, And it was the same time they would run uh, Tomb of Dracula, which is where Blade was introduced. And some of these series we haven't really seen in in the the current Marvel Cinematic Universe. Marvel, as much as I love it, desperately needs an Asian superhero. It's it's embarrassing at this point that there isn't one um, prominently featured and... Uh, especially, I mean, you could bring Shang-Chi in very logically through Iron Fist, but I, I would rather see Shang-Chi just head straight to the big screen. Okay. All right. Eric, thoughts? Uh, I mean, honestly, I just think that especially because uh, Iron Fist has so completely dropped the ball when it comes to actually making anything even remotely resembling a kung fu uh, adaptation slash genre storytelling that's a great way to do it. And you can do it just, I mean, yeah. Shang-Chi is a natural character. I mean, and actually inhabits uh, similar, similar spaces as Iron Fist. I mean, he deals with Kunlun and uh, like just those kind of uh, old world ancient martial arts. And I mean, it's just, it's, it's again, as I mean, I, I, I've reiterated this point just thousands and thousands of points times, which is that the way that the Marvel Cinematic Universe continues to be successful is through variety and genre. Eventually, you're going to start to like have to get creative with that and get creative with it with a cool martial arts movie starring Shang-Chi that yeah. is completely in line with everything that you're doing already. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm very much in support. Okay. All right. She-Hulk. If we had gotten a third actual Hulk movie, do you think they would have hinted at She-Hulk? I hope so. She-Hulk is one of my like favorite Marvel characters ever. Um, okay. I, I uh, also John Byrne uh, had a She-Hulk series that was great. That was very much uh, fourth wall breaking, uh, talking to the audience. The She-Hulk series I loved though was uh, Dan Slott uh, did a book that was more so about her life as a lawyer. Um, than being an Avenger or fighting crime. Mm-hmm. Um, Which, again, it's, is just an awesome variety of storytelling, yeah. And it, Yeah, it never occurred to me that she would have been a lawyer first. How did she get, how, how did she get all hulked up? Well, she was oh, a well, lawyer. She, yeah. 
so she she was a lawyer, um, but she wound up in the hospital and ended up getting a blood transfusion from her cousin, who is Bruce Banner, um, which ended oh. up giving her. Uh, unlike him, it's not anger; it's fear that turns her into She-Hulk. Um, but otherwise, oh. it's pretty similar. Okay. Uh, her She-Hulk form is uh, much smarter. Um, it it she is fully capable of just existing as She-Hulk as a person. I now would like to see a movie where She-Hulk puts on a suit and goes into court and actually works as a lawyer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, I mean, and, and this honestly kind of links back to what I was saying about GLA, which is that like the time in the Marvel Universe that I kind of want to get to is just the time when we can just drop in on these characters and just discover what life is like for them having superpowers and existing in this world. And mm-hmm. with She-Hulk, that is the perfect example of that. It's just like She-Hulk in her like giant green form is like going to court and like arguing on behalf of like her superhero <laughs> brethren and like prevent, preventing them from going to jail. And, like, that's just such a cool idea. The only hang-up that I have about She-Hulk is, like, as far mm. as we've gotten with uh, with CGI and visual and performance capture, I am curious how you do it. Like, how you make her, like, persistently, not only, like... Because she, she's not as big... She's not as, as nearly as huge as, she, as, uh, as Hulk is. Uh, oh, yeah. But, like... But she is big and like and she's green and and like you can't there is a fine line that you can't cross where she might look silly and she's just too good of a character to make her look silly and like that is kind of just the big question mark that i have about it at this point all right all right we'll see what happens uh young avengers who's on this team uh, oh, young, young avengers is great yeah i'll let's tell us introduce it yeah, young, young avengers uh was created i'm, I'm blanking his name is the same guy that created the oc uh alan yeah. Heinberg. Yes, um, and I remember when it first came out, I thought it sounded really stupid. And I even read an interview where he was like, "Yeah, I met with Marvel, and they wanted a comic called Young Avengers. They didn't care what it was about; they just wanted that name." And the comic is great. It's it it pulls together a team of five or six people that, as the story progresses, you re- it is revealed have very clever connections to existing Avengers. Um, okay. And it and not in and, and connections that you don't expect either. Like there are also some like really cool twists in there that reveal like certain things about certain characters that you really don't expect. And yeah, it, it's like it's honestly really legitimately one of the most surprising. Is somebody a Marvel. clone? No, uh, I don't think anybody's a no. clone. Nobody's no. a clone. No. But there are it's there is an offspring related bit that mm-hmm. like is unlike any kind of like offspring story that you've ever heard. So that's kind okay. of fun. Um, but yeah, like it, it, it just I mean it is just a cool like because part of it is also it happened right after the uh, like the, the series started running right after an event called Avengers Disassembled, which uh, I believe saw was it Scarlet Witch killing everybody? Was that or was removing that kind of mutants of basically from uh, right? Yes. Um, or that, no, sorry, that's House of M. Uh, no, that's House Disassembled of M. Yeah. was just sort of like the Avengers ending. Um, it was, we can't but afford it, this oh, anymore. It was uh, it's it was, not I'm sorry, it's because Scott Lang died. It was Scott Lang died. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's um, what it was. And so, oh, okay. um, so the Avengers fall apart and like the young Avengers kind of come together in uh, in their place. And it's just, it is such a cool storyline. And like, who knows where Avengers 4 will leave us in this universe. I mean, clearly they are going to end up doing something with... Uh, 
the characters who both you have to do something special with the people who survived and the people who died. If that involves needing to completely rebuild uh, the Avengers uh, with a younger team of, of like possible recruits, it's even possible that these guys were already involved in uh, like the Avengers training facility, and so like they could come together and try and form the new team by themselves. And uh, also, like what's even cool about it also is that Vision uh, is a key character involved as well. And however, he's a rebooted version of Vision who has like lost his memory files, so he's back to being a kind of young version of vision so you could even have like paul bettany continue that role in just in a completely different capacity which yeah it, it should be noted okay. too that technically we have seen one of the uh, young avengers on the big screen too uh cassie lang uh, scott lang's daughter in ant-man uh oh. becomes oh, yeah. a, a hero called stature who can like grow and shrink like her dad um all right okay well that now suddenly suddenly i'm invested it sounds a lot cooler <laughs> It's great. Honestly, I, I highly recommend the comics. It, it's a really All fantastic right. series. Okay, the last Marvel character. Eric, you alluded to this earlier when you were talking about Nova, I believe. Mm-hmm. Annihilus. Annihilus, exactly. Uh, he is a uh, like a horrible bug-like uh, creature from an from the alternate dimension known as the Negative Zone, uh, which mm-hmm. those it's uh it's just the worst place ever. I guess it's the best way to describe it. Uh, but like Annihilus has con- when the, uh, it, it goes back to the same uh, Annihilation storyline that I was talking about earlier, which saw Annihilus uh, take over the entire Negative Zone. Find like basically punch through a portal into the normal uh, Earth six one six universe and do his very very best to try and take over everything uh, in that cosmos and it starts obviously and like the whole thing kicks off with the destruction of uh, the Nova the Nova uh, headquarters and uh, like that is kind of what kickstarts the entire story but more importantly it's also the story that uh, essentially introduced that eventually introduced us to the modern day Guardians of the Galaxy aka Star Lord Gamora uh, Rocket Drax and uh, Groot. So, um, like, that is incredibly influential. And it's also, like, really, though, the reason why I like the idea is because we've seen, like, cosmic... Uh, villains in the Marvel universe, like we've seen, uh, we've seen Kree. Obviously, we've seen Thanos now has his own like specific agenda. But like, what Annihilus brings to the table is that like he is just like the swarms of like bugs and insects. And as someone who is completely petrified and horrified by insects and bugs, like the visual <laughs> potential here are. is really fucking scary. And like, yeah. and it's like, it, like it, he is a legitimate threat. And like, you kind of got the sense of it with Ultron. But try and think instead of robots, you got alien bugs, and it's just like. That, and like, and it's the swarms that just like come in and like decimate a planet in like minutes. And it's just like oh. it, it's it, there. It's a really, really powerful. It's a threat. nightmare. Yeah, and I, that I think uh, <laughs> that yeah, I, I I think there's a lot of potential for it. Unfortunately, they are the character is. Uh, considered part because especially because of the negative zone uh it's connected with the links or it's connected to the rights for fantastic four so they are it is he is currently uh owned by 20th century fox however through the merger yay comes back yeah okay i would throw out though like i think of him so much as a fantastic four villain that like i i hope they save him for fantastic four okay all right assuming we will get another one of those it's <laughs> all right moving on dc characters who deserve the big screen live action treatment personal favorite of mine everybody should know john stewart aka black green lantern right 
Absolutely. I mean, I mean, he was like, especially thanks to the animated series, I think he became yeah. the key Green Lantern for a lot of audiences. And frankly, after, I mean, I'm just to being blunt about it, after Black Panther, I am honestly shocked that uh, Warner Brothers didn't immediately jump on this opportunity, that they didn't like immediately fast track Green Lantern. I It, it shocks well, the hell out of me. there's a lot of stuff they haven't immediately done, Eric. So <laughs> That's <let> fair. <laughs> <laughs> this, this goes in that category, I think. I mean, my, my dream version of Green Lantern would be just take something like Training Day, but put it in outer space. So going back to Denzel Washington, that, that yeah. that's a movie oh, for him. Oh, there we go. <laughs> uh, what what they were talking, what they've been talking about doing with the uh, Green Lantern Corps movie is having um, Hal Jordan and John Stewart, with Hal being the like senior Green Lantern and John Stewart being newer, and having kind of like like you were saying, kind of like a Training Day. Um, or a lethal weapon kind of thing sure. going on with the two of those. You, you still so you still think that would be a good idea? Well, or do you want John Stewart to have his own movie? So in in that version of things, um, I would I would actually cast Enzo Washington as Hal Jordan. Um, I was gonna say like because <laughs> you need that sort of like esteemed. This guy is great, and have a much younger. Uh, if you do John Stewart, if you do Kyle Rayner, um, at the same time though. I'm not sure that you do change the race of Hal Jordan just to like, just because like you want John Stewart to be that. I mean, it, just within the comics, he is such. You could even like make him John Stewart. Character. You could sort of throw out yeah. Hal Jordan altogether and just make it be that John Stewart was the the Green Lantern that has protected the Earth. And for he's, so the, long. he's the veteran, and and he could be training Kyle Rayner, who's like this young upstart asshole. Which, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now you guys put. One of my personal favorites, admittedly from the animated series, on here: Booster Gold, <laughs> and also Blue Beetle. You have those. You have those two together. Do you think they should be uh, featured together in some way? Absolutely. I, they, they are like they are best. As, I mean, they work individually, and and frankly, uh, I believe that you're specifically referencing the Justice League Unlimited episode, the best story never, or the greatest story never told, uh, which is easily one of the best episodes of that show with uh, Booster Gold uh, essentially on a side mission during a like a great Justice League battle and just mm-hmm. dealing with his own personal uh, little adventure. Uh, and but like and so yeah, they work fine on their own. But I think that the ultimate joy of getting these two characters is like. Is getting them together and like you have like this one that like Ted Cord, aka Blue Beetle, is kind of this nerdy yeah. like uh, like scientist with aspirations of being a hero, and then you have Booster Gold, who is this like radically outrageous, arrogant guy from the future who is a total phony trying to establish himself as a superhero, and like that's it, it's a great dynamic that uh, obviously DC Comics has exploited greatly. Uh, we, and more important, but more importantly, I feel like we haven't necessarily gotten that kind of dynamic as upfront as we normally would have. Like, we have Ant-Man and the Wasp, which is kind of a mm-hmm. romantic version of that, and I guess we have, like, Captain America and Falcon, but obviously Captain America is much more, like, front and center. But, like, Booster right. Gold and uh, Blue Beetle two-hander, I-, I think, like, that's a lot of fun. Okay. All right. And, Eric, <laughs> I'm, I, I'm... Oh, no, this no, this is you. not me. This is Silas. Do not give me <laughs> <Okay>. that fun. <laughs> All right, Silas. Tell everybody the next one because I will <laughs> fuck it up if I try to say it. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mixiopinalik. Okay. <laughs> and this is uh, another Mr. one that's been in a lot of the animated stuff. Yes. And uh, he he's one of my favorite Superman villains. He's, he's an imp from the fifth dimension, and he basically is like an omnipotent force. 
Mm-hmm. So it's like it's like Q on uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation, um, and he loves to mess with Superman, and in the older comics would do sorts of crazy things. So it's like Superman will turn into a tiger for a day, and it's because of Mister <laughs> Mixiapitalik. And the way to get him sent away is to trick him into saying his name backwards. Um, right, right. Which is the, the the Superman the animated series did two Mister Mixiapitalik episodes with uh, Gilbert Gottfried doing the voice, and they were so good. That sounds perfectly <laughs> annoying. <laughs> just like it Honestly, be. like I'll even also just throw kind of like into this mix. Like I wouldn't also mind to see a, a big screen version of Batmite, uh, if not just because oh. like we are currently living in an era of like such toxic fandom that like. You could totally encapsulate all of that in Batmite as like the dis- this destructive, uh, like interdimensional force that like destroys Batman because like of his own personal wishes for what the character should be. And so like I mean you could also I mean you could kind of do that with Mister Mister Victor like as well. But uh, you know but like I I think that. Yeah, the time is right for these kind of characters to make their appearance. It'd be very honestly, it might be kind of weird in the current status of the DC Extended Universe. Uh, mm-hmm. But down the line, as they start getting their shit together, <laughs> there was a there was a comic, uh, sort of like a prestige forty eight page single thing uh, that Evan Dorkin wrote called "World's Funnest," uh, and the idea was that Batmite and Mister Mixiapitalik were both bragging that their respective hero, Batman or Superman, was better and. They start like going through all of the DC multiverse, doing things to prove that their superhero is better. And the comic was so much fun because like Alex Ross, who did Kingdom Come, drew painted new Kingdom Come pages that they go into in the comic. Uh, and it was like a really cool blend of just weird art and breaking the fourth wall. And mm-hmm. if you did that as a movie and just incorporate the entire like hundred years of DC movies, that would be really cool. Okay. All right, Terry McGinnis, who I know from the Batman Beyond cartoon. I mean, that's it. That's literally just the idea. Like, just do Batman Beyond. Like, I I feel like we don't even need to get in this too much. It's just, like, the aesthetic of Batman Beyond is easily one of the coolest that has existed Mm -hmm. in... uh, the history of DC Comics, like it, yeah. it's it's such a awesome version of Batman. It takes place in a future, so you don't necessarily need to worry about like too much continuity, because uh, it can just yeah. be set by itself uh, in this advanced future. And yeah, it's just awesome. I I, I love Terry McGinnis and like Batman Beyond. Just that that show is so so kick ass. Uh, mm-hmm. That yeah, just do it. It, okay. it seems to me just like, well, yeah, you have a story that's set in a future that doesn't really necessarily need to interfere with anything else you're doing, but could. And people are going to love this movie. It's going to look really neat. Uh, why wouldn't you be making a Batman Beyond movie? Like, what what reason is there to not make a Batman Beyond movie? Lost on me. Well, honestly. there aren't any good reasons, <laughs> but I'm sure there are plenty of DCEU reasons. <laughs> you could bring Michael Keaton back as Batman or Bruce Wayne Bruce in Wayne, a yeah. Batman Beyond movie. That would that be amazing. Uh, oh my goodness, you're right. See, <laughs> see how easy it is, DC, to just write this stuff and, and start getting it together. They need to listen to us more. I don't know why they don't. <laughs> okay, Lobo. They were actually talking about trying to do a Lobo movie years ago, and of course it never materialized. Go. Why do we need a Lobo movie? So I, I have sort of a weird, like, I, I like Lobo a lot, uh, but I think it, it is a movie that if you do it wrong, it's going to be really bad. Um, yeah, that makes true. sense. 
I mean, I mean he's, he's, he's like, he's essentially uh, the DC's answer to Deadpool, which, like, I mean, it, like, I mean Deathstroke is technically DC's... Uh, it's, it's a whole thing. I'm not going to bother getting into it. Lobo um, is a, a, an alien bounty hunter who looks like he is a member of KISS, correct? Right, basically. Yeah. And, he's, and he's just like, he's known for just being completely outrageous and over the top. And like, he's very much a 90s character. We've talked about like that era of comics of just muscles and ridiculousness. Uh, yeah. And like, he, he's very much a byproduct of that era of comics. And like, I, I mean, just like, yeah, I mean, essentially because he is the DC equivalent of uh, of Deadpool, that's exactly why they should bring him out. And like, because you mm-hmm. can do something like darkly funny and weird and like ridiculous and dirty and like just it, I, it's a, a tone that you really can't achieve with any other character, especially the established ones in this universe. So, yeah, I, yeah. I, like, I just want to see him come in and play a role. I remember being on on uh, the set of The Losers, uh, the the technically DC comic adaptation, but had Jeffrey Dean Morgan in it. And he was talking about how Lobo was his dream role. Like that's who he really <laughs> wanted to play. And I, I could totally see it. Well, he's already playing Thomas Wayne in the DC extended universe though. I mean, he's under heavy makeup, I guess. So you could potentially get away with it. Honestly, what's weird I, about I, that actually also, well, go ahead. I was just going to throw out the other person that's maybe an unnatural choice, but I think would be such a good Lobo. Danny McBride. Yeah. Danny McBride would be great. <laughs> See, I was gonna like, I was being, crazy. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna say like Jason Momoa, but like obviously he's Aquaman. But yeah, no, Danny McBride. That that's the answer. My, my favorite iteration of of Lobo was again Superman the animated series, where he was just sort of like this gruff trucker guy, yeah. and he's he's so funny with Superman because Superman is like the big blue Boy Scout, and he wants to do everything right and kind mm-hmm. and be nice to everyone, and Lobo just does not care, but is potentially even stronger than Superman. And they clash in some really funny ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your last pick for DC characters, amalgam characters. What is this? This is a, this is a specialty <laughs> yeah. from Silas that, again, I will just let him. Uh, so when, when Eric told me to come up with DC and Marvel characters that we'd never see on the big screen, and these are ones that we will never see on the big screen, um, <laughs> and they are DC and Marvel characters. Um, in, in the 90s, DC and Marvel did a big crossover event called DC versus Marvel that was four issues, and there were six main bouts. It was Superman versus Hulk, Wonder Woman versus Storm, uh, Wolverine versus Lobo, uh, Superboy versus Spider Man, and. Batman versus Captain America. Spider Man, or no, Batman versus Captain America. That's what I just said. Uh, yeah. Superboy versus Spider Man. Um, yeah. And you, people got to vote. Uh, which which sort of meant that the popular characters won when they shouldn't necessarily okay. have. But okay. at the end of the third issue, whatever universe lost was supposed to be destroyed. Uh, they reveal that instead of destroying the universes, they're just going to merge them. And then they released 12 issues that were from a publisher called Amalgam Comics that they, they went so far as to have fake letters pages in the back. <laughs> So it was actually like you were reading a comic from a parallel universe. Oh, and, my goodness. Uh, they did 12 issues and then 12 more the following year. So I think it was just 24 Amalgam titles. Okay. But there was like uh, Legends of the Dark Claw was uh, Wolverine and Batman uh, <laughs> mixed into one. And uh, there was a character called Super Soldier that was Superman and Captain America. And th- they all had such cool So they origins. literally like merged characters but it, well, so it's like a parallel universe where Superman crashed to Earth, but the baby died, but the government recovered it, and they used the, the DNA in their super soldier experiments and created Captain America, but 
with this, this alien so DNA. It's <laughs> perfect. And eventually, right. like eventually, Marvel and DC are gonna make so many movies that the, like the, the competition will kind of exhaust itself. Eventually, they'll need to just yeah. team up and do something together, which is exactly what happened to, to create Amalgam. And you can just do right. it on the big screen. And so, yeah, though that's uh, yeah, I like it. Okay, <laughs> all right. I really want to see that now, guys. We've actually come to the end of this week's episode. How are you feeling? Uh, that was good. <laughs> stuff. Oh, this was really fun. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, Eric and Silas, tell us what you guys have coming up. Uh, I am at Movie Bill. Um, we're on a, a brief pause right now before our next issue. We're a print uh, augmented reality magazine. Uh, but in the meantime, I am uh, boosting stuff on the website. So uh, please check out moviebill.com. Okay. And uh, I'm on Twitter. It's just my name, Silas Lesnick. Okay, Eric. I know uh, you have something cool coming up that you can't talk about. I, I well I I I, have, I do have something cool coming up that I can't talk about. Uh, I uh, tomorrow I'm actually hopping on a plane. Well, not tomorrow from when you're listening to this. So by the time you're listening to this, I'll actually be back. Uh, but I'm getting I'm going down to Mexico City for the uh, junket for the new Conjuring Universe film, The Nun, uh, which mm-hmm. should be quite a bit of fun. Uh, and or also terrifying. I. Either way. Uh, <laughs> and I'm also going to be uh, next week, uh, before next week's show, I'm not sure if I'll be able to talk about it, but uh, I'm going to be going to the edit bay for uh, one of the upcoming uh, superhero projects that I'm not nice. going to go into further details yeah. about. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, you can find me on social. Uh, you can find me at E. Eisenberg on Twitter and uh, Eric Eisenberg Blend on Facebook. All right. That's it for us this week, guys. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And please, after you listen to the episodes, drop us a review. Let us know what you're thinking. Give us, you know, ideas for topics. Ask us questions. We enjoy all that. You can also find us on Twitter now, at HeroBlend. Be sure to tune in next week to HeroBlend Live on the Cinema Blend's Facebook page. It happens every Thursday at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern. That's all for us this time, guys. As always, thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week.